0: It's hard for us to imagine what was going on there when they asked these questions. Um, And particularly in chapters 12, 13, and 14, it's a whole unit on what are called the spiritual gifts. And so we're just starting it today. We'll be talking about this for three or four weeks. Don't expect you to uh, master it all in this one week. There'll be uh, some, to some extent too much information uh, to to deal with in 127 minute or 35 minute sermon but back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 it's kind of interesting a lot of interesting information uh, as we work through 12 13 and 14 over the next few weeks let's let me read the text for our, us today verses 1 through 11 now, concerning spiritual gifts, oh, you see, that's his uh, transition saying, this is a question you asked me, and so I'm answering this question that you asked. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand, notice the connection there, I don't want you to be uninformed, but I want you to understand, uh, to know something. I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. The Greek word there is anathema. You may have heard that in English, anathema. So, apparently, in some of their, you know, let's use air quotes, worship services, occasionally somebody would be screaming out, Jesus is accursed. And they asked Paul, Now, does that seem right to you, Paul? (laughs) It's like, uh, no, (laughs) that shouldn't be a part of your worship service. Uh, That, no, absolutely not. Uh, That never happens by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. Somebody screams out, Jesus is anathema, or anathema, or... uh, I was thinking of our missionary in Madagascar, and he says taboo. He goes to uh, a village, and a village will... The elders of that village have decided that they are taboo Jesus and taboo Bible. And that means that you're not allowed to say the word Jesus in that village, or to use the Bible in that village, uh, actually, actually it's one of the this is a, Jamie Shattenberg is his name one of the most marvelous victories is uh, that he through God's work spent a lot of energy on this one village uh, that was Taboo Jesus and Taboo Bible and now there's a church there and uh, the people who are yelling Taboo Jesus are no longer there although the church certainly gets you know some feedback some kickback but there's a church of the Lord Jesus Christ there Meditating on the word of God and preaching and taking communion. Uh, hallelujah. Isn't that cool? So, but that's kind of the idea here. Uh, that in the, their, their Christian worship was getting so out of hand that there were literally uh, spasmodic things going on there. And people were yelling, Jesus is a curse. And he says, no. Uh, and then he says, and, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given The Manifestation of the Spirit for the Common Good. Notice my somewhat humorous, possibly provocative title. I hope it would be, Everyone Has One. Because you normally think of something else when you're talking about that. Nothing bad, right? Nothing bad, but everyone has one. But in this context, I'm trying to say, everyone has a spiritual gift. To each, see that verse 7? It's one of those things that if you don't hear anything else, hear verse seven. To each, and the Greek word there is every last one. Every last one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And I it just occurred to me, uh, honestly, as I read this through, which has been like seventy-five times this week. Look, I think there's the categories of gifts are there's a variety of gifts, varieties of service, and a varieties of activities. All things which are given as a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Not everybody has a different gift, a different service, and or a different activity given by the Holy Spirit for the common good. See that in verse 7? For the common good. Remember uh, verse 24 of chapter 10. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Let's plug that into uh, this 12:7 as well. Okay, verse eight. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit; to another gifts of healing by the one spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. We'll be spending a little bit of time on that in subsequent sermons. Uh, but the word tongues there means human language. Uh, means a known human language. It's consistent in the text. And I hope if you stick with me, You'll be able to uh, see, yeah, that's, that's really what it's saying. Um, various kinds of foreign languages to another, the interpretation of or the translation of those foreign languages of tongues. Verse 11, all these are empowered by the one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. See, everyone has one, a gift of the Holy Spirit. He has apportioned to each one as he desired. It's the will of God to do this as he wills. And there's also, I don't think we'll get to this in the sermon, but just if you you like textual points, which I hope you do, because God gave us a text, um, See verse 11? It says, All of these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. And then you look up at uh, verse 6, it says, But the same God who empowers them all in everyone. So we are correct when we say the Holy Spirit is God. The, there's a, this is a great Trinity passage, actually, because uh, you see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in this text. The, the Holy Spirit is, is one of the three persons of God. So let me pray, and then we'll talk about uh, some points that we should be thinking about through this passage. Dear Father, thank you that you've given us tremendous gifts. And please, in your kindness, O oh Lord, teach us and challenge each of us to use our gift for the common good and to not be serving ourselves, to follow our Savior. The example of him who came not to be served, but to serve. And Lord, we know that you will empower us to do these things because we depend on you and we cannot do anything on our own. So we commit ourselves to you and even now teach us, prepare us to to understand what you would have us all learn in this text. Through, Through Christ Jesus alone, we always pray. Amen. Okay, so I really like the introduction, and, you know, as usual, I find so much in this rich text. Um, I make the statement, pagan versus, uh, pagan worship, pagan versus Christian worship. There's a big contrast here at the very beginning, right? The word pagan means uh, ethnics or nations, but here it means nations in rebellion against God. Um, So verse 2, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Pagan worship leads the worshiper astray by demons. Pagan worship, for Paul, is a passive worship. You come and something happens to you and you don't know what's happening, it draws you away. And it takes you to a place that you didn't know you'd go there, uh, and you're out of control. That's pagan worship. When you were pagans, you were led, you were passive, you were led uh, off the track uh, to mute idols, which are speechless statues. Uh, let's take a second to look at chapter 10 again, um, chapter 10, verses 19 through 22. A very key passage on on uh, understanding pagan worship first corinthians ten nineteen through twenty two it, it reads like this: "What do I imply then that food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? no so you know, as we travel, uh, we go to um, other worship centers. We might see their artwork. I've had the joy of of traveling in India extensively. And everywhere you go, there's another Hindu temple. A lot of these temples are like eight by eight, eight feet by eight feet, just little tiny structures. And they'll have a metal bar fence thing. And you look in there, and there's some sort of wild-looking statue, bright colors, you know, it'll be like something like a the monkey god, you know, it's a human body with a monkey head, or, or one of or the other, many, many, they have millions of, of gods in India. And so Paul would say, is, is that idol anything? And he says, well, no, at one level it's just uh, uh, artwork, it's just an idol, it's, uh, it's nothing significant, but, but the worshippers who come there infuse this place with meaning and they are actually coming and there is something going on there that goes deeper than that rather crude, sometimes poured cement idol that's painted so uh, lavishly. See what he says here? No, verse 20. This is First Corinthians ten twenty. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I mean, it's very real. When they go there and worship, they're not even worshiping the external statue thing, but a deeper meaning behind and kind of supporting and in, in with and by that idol thing. And there is, there's actually demon activity there. Now, I, I, one of my friends from India, a uh, dear lady named Sarozani, Uh, she's probably a few years older than me, grew up as a normal Indian, pagan uh, Hindu, and her family would regularly, they were rather poor, and they would regularly sacrifice chickens uh, to the goddess. They they lived in fear of the goddess, whichever god it was, I do not know. Uh, And she remembers constantly offering the blood of chickens to try to pacify the god and and they never felt secure they were worshiping a demon and they couldn't satisfy the demon it was never once and for all sacrifice like the beauty of christ for us because christ is not a chicken that sounds silly but he is the infinite son of god he fully satisfies the true god of all of god's wrath so we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in our time of need. And the Hindus don't have that satisfaction. They never know if the God is satisfied. and But there's a real demonic connection for them there. Something deep and real that's happening uh, to them and for them. And so Paul says, that's what pagan worship is. You were led astray to... Uh, the, it's very specific in the grammar. Toward you're led toward this mute idol. However, you are led. And he's just saying you're you're passive. You're just being led. Um, so the worship is an experience that is passive for the worshipper. He doesn't know what's going on. It's just sort of happening to him. There is a real power in false worship. When Paul says is the idol nothing, yeah, it's nothing. But there is a real demonic power there, and he basically says to the Corinthians don't mess around with it. You you no longer can be a part of that demonic power because you're worshiping Christ and the demon if you continue to, to participate in that cultural expression. There is real power in false worship. How does this translate to American culture? I think we have to acknowledge that there's real power in our popular cultural expressions um, that can draw people away from God. What am I talking about? Well, just take, don't do it. But imagine taking 16 hours and watching HBO, you know, watching uh, the, uh, the popular sh- television shows that are American culture. What is the morality being preached, pushed constantly on these television shows? Is there a power in it that can actually draw people away from God? Absolutely. Uh, The morality is in rebellion against God in every which way you can imagine. um, And it's somehow alluring and powerful and interesting, right? So Paul says, watch out. Because that popular culture is actually drawing you away from God, and you, be, you become passive, drawn toward a mute idol, a speechless idol, wherever you are led. Now, the opposite of this is Christian worship is not chaotic, but is controlled by the individual, that's you and I, and revealed by the Holy Spirit, See, that's what he says in verse 3, and I'm going to expand this a little bit. It doesn't, it's not all in verse 3, but you know, hold on to your seats. You're so excited, like, oh, how will he defend this point? (laughs) I will be able to by the word of God, okay? Um, Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Anathema Jesus. No, no one ever led by the God will yell out in a Christian service that Jesus is accursed. And you and I might say, well, of course not. But it's the principle of we are to be exercising self-control even while we are worshiping God. It's dependent on the revelation of God. No one can say Jesus is Lord or Jesus is God Except in the Holy Spirit. We're dependent on the revelation of God, but we also are called to self discipline and self control in worship. Uh, let me show you what I mean. Again, not being able to teach it all today, but just a little brief introduction because Paul hits this point right at the very beginning. He, he, right at the very beginning, he says, The thing you Corinthians are missing is that Christian worship is not a passive experience where we just go in and hope to be drawn off into something that we don't control. We don't know where we're going. It's just like ecstasy and I'm floating around. No, that's not what Christian worship is. We're supposed to understand and know what's going on. So look at 14, chapter 14, verse 32. I briefly take you to some of these scriptures. He's talking about prophets here, chapter 14, verse 32. Um, let's go to 31. He says, you can all prophesy one by one. Even there is an idea that you don't just blurt it all out at once. You take your turn. One, 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 one. Okay, No, no, no. It's not your turn. It's his turn right now, okay? So you just sit down and be quiet for a moment, and we will get to this person next, right? There's an order here, right? You can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So he's saying in prophecy, particularly, um, you're you're not just overcome with this rush of the Holy Spirit and boom, you have to say whatever it is you feel like saying at the moment. No, you're supposed to be in control of that. For Verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. God is not a chaotic God, but of peace. So it's controlled by the individual. Also, uh, look at verse 19 of chapter 14. Chapter 14 lays it all out, and we'll be spending a little bit of time in that when we get to it. Verse um, Verse 19, Paul says, Well, verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So Paul says, yes, I I have this gift of miraculous foreign languages, and I do it a lot more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a foreign language. So he's emphasizing we, should, we need to know what's going on. We're not called to float off to an area where we don't have control over our thoughts and our, our, what's going on in our mind. Verse 27 and 28, same kind of thing. Um, look at verse 27, verse 28. And again, honestly, compare this to what you might know of what's called a, a Pentecostal or a charismatic meeting, This is just radically different. The Word of God says this, if any speak in a tongue, and again, that's a foreign language, let there be only one or at the most, no, only two or at the most three, so you have a meeting, and two people maybe can say something in a foreign language. Or at the most three. In other words, not the whole group babbling all at once and not the pastor in the middle of a sermon start blah, 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 babbling. Uh, This happens. Uh, No. Look what it says here. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. In other words, that language is a known language. Let somebody interpret it. Let somebody translate it. You're supposed to have control over the situation, not chaotic uh, spurts of whatever happens to be going on. Um, look at verse twenty-eight. But if there is no one to interpret, what would you think if it was if it was like a flood of water that you can't control? Then you just have to let the person go. No, let each of them keep silent in the church. So Paul hits this principle right off that pagan worship is worship where we surrender ourselves passively and we're led by a power that we don't understand to a a mute idol, uh, to to something really meaningless, and we spend our time on that. Uh, Paul says, no, that's not the way Christian worship should be. I'm concerned sometimes for some of modern Christian worship. Um, I, I... Jeremy kind of spoils me, and Derek even before him too. The choice of music, you know, he chooses music that has just a lot of good content. And music is repetitive. Even the Psalms are repetitive. But they're never like six words of a mantra that you say, you sing those words for five minutes, blah, 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 blah. blah. Those words sort of have a, for me... They have a mind-numbing quality, and I sort of feel like, wow, I'm sort of being drawn into some sort of trance. What's the purpose of this music? Is it really Christian, or is it really trying to make me a passive participant where my mind is actually put to sleep, and I'm just sort of saying these things over and over and over again? I just wonder. Uh, For example, there's a popular song now, quite popular, it's two or three years old, and probably it's your favorite song. So please forgive me right now. I'm just questioning it, <laughs> okay? It's, it's called uh, You're a Good, Good Father. Uh, and Chris Tomlin has uh, uh, popularized the song. He didn't write it, but, uh, and it's, I'm sure it's all over. Uh, K-Love and Air One. But you just take a second and listen to that song. You're a good, good father. That's who you are, that's who you are, that's who you are. And I'm loved by you, that's who I am, that's who I am, that's who I am. Everything's repeated, repeated, repeated. And really, the way he wrote the song and the way they sing it, you're supposed to repeat those phrases some like 21 times, over and over and over again. I just came from a retreat, and it was two and a half days, and they sang that song twice, which for me is like twice too many times, okay? (laughs) And, and, And the second time, I should have timed it, but it felt like eight or ten minutes, and we didn't repeat it 21 times. We repeated it, you know, 54 times. Blah, 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 It's like, wow, here I am saying that pagan worship is passive and you're kind of drawn off into a place that you don't really know where you're going. I just, you know, I'm just questioning, okay? <laughs> it's good to be critical of our own culture. Uh, what is the purpose? I mean, I, I know that God is good. He's a good father. That's definitely who he is. And, and he, he loves me. And that's, that's who I am. Praise God. That's amazing. But I guess I just don't want to have to say it 28 times uh, over and over again. Because it feels like, what's, why? What's the purpose of, of all that? Let's just be careful. Because Christian worship isn't chaotic, but is controlled by the individual and emphasizes truth. We worship him in what? Spirit and in Truth, spirit and in truth. Um, Good. Let's see. I think that's all I wanted to say here. The individual is to be in control of what they are saying and doing. Think. And I have a reference back to what I already read. Paul says, I'd rather speak five words and understand them than 10,000 words and really not understand what I'm saying. Now, the, the central part of this text really quickly goes from verses 4, four to 8. And this is uh, wonderfully repetitive, <laughs> but each time it's like more like a poem where he advances the idea. Uh, let me read the little verse here again. Now, there are, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same lord and there are varieties of activities but it is the same god who empowers them all in every one everyone has one everyone so my point here is straight from the text god is the source and the power behind gifts notice that the one and only same god the trinity gives a variety of gifts and empowers them all in every one. The one and only same God. He uses the word same, same, same. And there's spirit and there's Lord. And he just said, Jesus is Lord. So we could think he's thinking son there. And then maybe in verse 6 he's thinking father. Anyway, I don't want to read Trinity into it. But I think there's a Trinity right there. That's kind of cool. The same God, the Trinity, gives a variety of gifts. He doesn't give the same gift to everyone. um, And he empowers them all in every one. Allow me uh, two minutes to look at the the beauty of the language here with you before we ask, well, so so what? Okay. First of all, the beauty of the language here, this is is the Greek phrase, ha-energon-ta-panta-en-pasin. And the ESV says, empowers them all in every one. This is ha, means the, the one who is working the all, ta, panta, means the all, in all. This is God, God, the same God, that's the phrase in verse 8, okay? Uh, The verse, where is it here? I said verse 8 and I didn't mean it, did I? I meant verse 6, thank you the same God who empowers them all in everyone. This is, a, this is what we call a present participle, ongoing action, and present tense in Greek, this is very exciting, is it, it's, it's happening all the time. It's, it's now. It's happening now. God is empowering these gifts in all people, in all. Tapanta, that's all the gifts in everyone. Not one person, Who is a Christian is left out of this phrase. Honestly, I think this is the biggest thing in this text. We kind of forgot that. We sort of think, well, my spiritual gift is to come to church three times a month, (laughs) sit there and sort of endure the sermon and maybe get a little nap on the side. You know, like you have to ask, is that really your spiritual gift? Um, Didn't God give you some other way for the common good? for the building up of the body of Christ, there's no way that your Christian experience should be self-centered. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. I don't need the church anymore. So many Christians make that choice and it's wrong. It's wrong. Here's one more. Um, this is my favorite verse. This is the, uh, Ephesians 1.11. You know, I have this long uh, connection to this verse because it's what got a hold of my heart when I was... Uh, 16, I think, years old. It, it's uh, that. Let, let me read it from the... I, I always go to the last phrase. This is Ephesians 1.11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This is a description of God. I want to complain about that Chris Tomlin song again because at the very beginning it says, "People say this and say that about God, but I heard a whisper in the middle of the night, and that's how I get my revelation." Uh, We should get our revelation from the Word of God. Okay, He does whisper to us in the middle of the night, and that's uh, yes, indeed. But that's not the source for true knowledge about God because. Something else whispering to you in the middle of the night, uh, like that burrito you shouldn't have eaten. (laughs) Here's the word of God, my friends. Who is God? He's the one who, tapanta, the all, is present active participle, is working. There's nothing outside of the sovereign working of God. If he doesn't work it, it doesn't exist. There's nothing that exists outside of God. It, it, there's only two categories of being, God and his creation. And the way he has worked it, the creation is not separate from him. It doesn't operate without him. He's the one who is working right now, present, to participle, all things after his own will. So there's a linguistic connection These two verbs, this is just in the genitive and this is in the nominative. That's the that's why the form looks different. Other than that, it's the exact same word. Energy. You see, energy right there. Okay. That's my little linguistic. That was more than two minutes, forgive me. Moving on. Why? So what? Okay, so what? The one and only same God, the Trinity. Wow, the power of that idea. Gives a variety of gifts and empowers them all and everyone. So what, pastor? Why is this important? God deserves all the credit and praise. When we come to worship him, you know, and when you come to serve him, and whatever gift he's given you, you don't say, yeah, I'm pretty good because I have this gift. You say, no, it was given to me by God. I don't even know how I got this. I don't even know how this happens. It's, it's amazing. God gave me this gift of service. God gave me this gift of teaching. God gave me this gift of leading. And he deserves all the credit and praise. Secondly, we trust his plan, provision. If he's the sovereign Lord, we, we have to trust him. We have to look around at this body and say, okay, what has God gifted us with here at this body? Well, what, what can we do for the Lord? we had one lady who came by who had a huge heart of compassion for the homeless and so she said hey can, I, can you help me put together kits little sandwich bags of food that I can give to the homeless and we said absolutely we can help you do that and she did it for about 18 months and then she left and we looked around does anybody else have this gift or desire and you know what no one else felt moved to do that so we let that ministry go it's, it's gone for now Is that kind of sad? Yeah. But we trust God's plan and provision. Uh, Is it possible that somebody's just not obeying God and they're thinking that their gift is to come to church three times a month? Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe that's the problem. Uh, But let's pray about that, right? We must trust his plan and provision. And thirdly, we cannot effect, I can't make spiritual change happen. He has to empower it. He has to make it work. If, if I could, you know, if I, if I could, I'd throw the switch. I'd throw the switch in me. And I'd throw the switch in all of us and we'd be just turned on for God. We'd be on fire. Our feet would be blazing bronze for Jesus, right? Wouldn't we like that? And it, it, as a teacher, as an evangelist, you wish, well, where's the switch? You know, where do I throw? I, I, I don't have access to it. But that's okay. His God gave the gift and he empowers it. He makes it happen. I can't make it happen. Hallelujah. I'm not even held responsible for making it happen. I'm held responsible for being faithful to the gift he's given us. We cannot affect spiritual change. That's the so what. That's why it's important that the word says ha-energon-tapanta-en-pasin. He is the one who... Who works it all in all. Hallelujah. Though everyone has a gift, a gift for everyone. Everyone has one. Everyone has one. A gift for others. Now I expect you to memorize this chart in a minute. The big truth here is everyone has received a gift from the Holy Spirit. Everyone. Let's do a little exercise. Turn to somebody near you and say, you have a gift from the Holy Spirit. Even in the sleeping porch over here. You have a gift from the Holy Spirit. <laughs> okay, that's the truth. Is that the truth, my dear friends? Is God's word true? That means you have a gift for the common good. You know, And so the question is, what is it and are we using it, right? That's what we need to be working on. God will empower you to use your gift. He works in you and through you. What is your gift? 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifest- manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now here's the chart you memorize. Got it? Okay. <laughs> this is actually a really cool chart, and I did find it on Wikipedia, so you can go there yourself. I also put it on our church webpage, fbcmonterey.org. I just put it up there this morning. This is a pretty thorough listing from, that's Romans, from all of the passages of Scripture. This, and this is not intended by God to be exhaustive, right? But it gives you a pretty good idea of what he has in mind for gifts. These are all lists of different gifts that we have. And so uh, we'll be thinking about that in the next few weeks. As I said, it's on our webpage, or just go to Wikipedia yourself, and prayerfully read through the list and see what God has for you. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we want to be led by you in spirit and in truth. We want to worship you in a way that honors you and not be led astray and off by false doctrine, false teaching, that which is not biblical. We want to honor you in our whole lives Lord, help us to grasp this fantastic truth that everyone in the church has a gift from the Spirit for the common good. And may we be used by you to utilize those gifts for the common good. We need, some, we need a lot of evangelists, Lord. We need teachers. And we need people who love people, who have a gift of mercy, of giving, of leadership. Uh, Lord, Guide us to each be empowered by you to serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.